0: Posting Jobs, and Pods, a podcast brought to you by Hitmarker. Hello and welcome everyone to the first Hitmarker podcast of 2021. This is Posting Jobs, Recording Pods, the podcast brought to you by Hitmarker. My name is Cam, I'm your host as always and joining me is Trev and Will. And we've also got a new face, we've got Tom, our recently brought on full-time content coordinator. So we're going to be speaking to Tom a little bit this episode and just hearing what his, back, uh, what his backstory is like How he got involved in gaming, what he's been doing up until this point And then eventually how he found Hitmarker and, and what led to his position here So uh, how is everyone doing? Trev, Will, it's been a while since we last spoke?
1: Yeah, it's been a while. Hope everyone's had a good Christmas and New Year
2: Yeah, excited to be back. Good times. I enjoyed Christmas but Kind of, you know, you have a long holiday and then you want to be back and get stuck into work again so yeah it's been good to be back.
0: Uh, the holiday already feels like uh,
2: I mean I was going to say ages ago I mean, it's coming up to a
0: month so it's definitely fair. Well Tom how are you doing? You're, um, you've recently joined us full-time uh, before that Tom was working on a freelance basis um, and then joined the team full-time in January. How are you doing today Tom?
3: Yeah I'm doing good yeah it's, uh, it's fun to be here and yeah it's been, a, it's been an interesting start to the new year.
0: Definitely. Well, I mean, let's just uh, dive straight in because we've got a lot to cover in this one. We always like to start with um, with the origin story. I think everyone who's sort of involved in the games industry often has a very sort of clear picture of when they first you know, discovered video games and what sort of made them discover that love for it. So what was that like for you? What sort of introduced you to it? And then what was your sort of earlier uh, experiences of gaming like?
3: I mean, I, I played video games a bit as a kid. Um had a, had a Sega Genesis back in the day, or Mega Drive is, is what it was. But um, yeah, I grew, I grew up in a family where the video games were kind of frowned upon. So they kind of dwindled off in my teens and 20s. And it was 2012 when I first got into like gaming properly. Um, I bought my first gaming PC, which was just some beat up old refurbished thing. Um, and found some new friends in the town that I lived in who were the ones who introduced me to Minecraft originally. It was the first real gaming, uh, like hardcore gaming time, playing for hours and hours and hours on, you know, servers hosted in our bedrooms and stuff. Um, and it just kind of spiraled from there, really. Um ended up starting a YouTube channel, which, you know, didn't really go anywhere. And that led me into streaming and and well, once I hit that part uh, gaming was just a massive part of my life by the time I started streaming like a very very big focus
0: what, uh, what year was it you know when you started streaming
3: 2017 I think maybe, maybe 2016 so uh, the game that got me into streaming uh, was Paladins and uh, I, I met some guys from the Paladins team at oh which convention was it I can't remember, it's one in London. It was a fairly small gaming convention in London in 2016. I started playing it with my friends, got really into it, and then uh, that was the first time I ever went on Twitch, actually, was to find Paladin streams, uh, found some Paladin streamers, decided that I wanted to try it for myself. So it was possibly late 2016.
0: Great, so, yeah, it's always great to just sort of, yeah, um, see something that you like and then just give it a, give it a go yourself. We're well, just going back to your um, your parents being a bit uh, against video games to begin with. I'm very fortunate in that um, my brother's four years older than me, so he sort of, he's a big gamer as well, he loves video games, um, introduced me to them. And that was sort of, he, he unfortunately got the brunt of that in terms of my parents hearing the sort of media frenzy around video games and how you weren't sure if, you know, playing violent video games was going to make you violent and all this sort of, uh, all the panic that people were saying about games. So unfortunately, he he can definitely speak very uh vividly on on them sort of preventing him from playing games that were above a certain age rating and all that stuff. I just sort of quite luckily just coasted by because he sort of ate all of that uh that thrashing for me and then I'm just four years later like yep cool I can play anything. <laughs> so yeah, definitely uh also found that um, that resistance to video games. But I was very lucky and I was, since I was the the second child, I just sort of he ate all those obstacles for me. Trevor Will, did you guys have anything like that where there was just that like knee-jerk reaction that video games are bad and that you shouldn't do them and you shouldn't be spending, you know, eight hours a day on them?
1: Just saying, I know how your brother feels. Oh, I was that the you? <laughs> child. I was that, yeah. So my brothers could sit on their Xbox, sit on their PC throughout the whole day. But if I did anything, it was just like, TJ, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you gaming? just to go back to minecraft the real question tom did you do servers with hamachi because that used to be the thing back in the day
3: i have i have hosted one server using hamachi
1: oh my god
3: and it was (laughs) and it was such a headache that i very i very quickly became the person in my friend group who just Paid to host on a on a a, a site, you know, (laughs) through through an actual host, Um, because yeah, I couldn't be dealing with that hassle. Plus, you get the 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 deal of like, I'm turning my PC off now, guys, so you better all go to bed because you can't play on the server while I'm in bed.
1: Yeah, it do be like that when uh, (laughs) someone was doing Hamachi. Oh, that was the day.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for me, I was lucky in that a never used Hamachi because. That program crashed my computer more than once. Wasn't here for that at university. Um, But I was kind of fortunate in that my parents didn't really limit massively how much I played. It was more of a case of they just wouldn't buy me consoles and stuff and wouldn't buy me video games if they didn't want me playing them. And then it was kind of a free-for-all. And it was basically, I was told how much computer time I could have until I was about 12, 13, when I got my first laptop. And then it was kind of out the window from there. But my parents were very much like, it's kind of whatever video games they would buy me stuff that is like pseudo educational um which you know depends how much your parents know about video games because you i get most stuff by saying oh it's history isn't it like age empire's <laughs> classic that was classic like but it's history mom and she was like yeah fine whatever bought that for me um i don't know if they actually knew that or not I they probably did they're smart people that i gave them credit for when i was like 12 but um no luckily never had the whole like pushback against gaming thing and i was the my, i have an older sister but she never played video games so i was the first child and i didn't really have that problem so guess i'm more fortunate than trev and tom were in that regard so good times
0: Oh, i don't want to continue kind worms in this but um just on you saying that the age of empire's history thing um i remember my brother completely finessed his way into grand theft auto because that was sort of like when that, came, like, when that came out, that was at like, the parents' worst nightmare, wasn't it? That's sort of like the pinnacle of, don't let your child play this video game. Um, so my parents were like super anti-GTA. Um, that was like, no, you you can never have that. Uh, so you got a friend, I think, to buy him, buy him the game. And then he played it and just showed them the driving aspect of it, like just driving around the city. And he said it was a game called Driver. Um, and like driving was a huge element of it. And he managed to use that to swing his way into GTA. Uh And then I imagine whenever they went in the room, he would be doing the uh, other stuff that you could get up to on that game. So a a crafty kid that wants to play a game is always going to find a way to get it. (laughs) Let me just bring things back onto you, Tom. um, You said that you started streaming around 2016, 17. Was that, you know, associated in anything that you were doing professionally at the time? What was your sort of uh, your first steps into the professional world? Um, And what sort of, yeah, what were your first few jobs that you would sort of consider more than just the sort of general part-time stuff that you have at school?
3: so it was purely a hobby project when i first started uh, streaming it was just because i decided i didn't like video editing very much so i was like i'll stop doing youtube and i'll start doing streaming instead <laughs> um and then that that developed into that moved me into casting as well um so I, that was when i first got into esports as opposed to just gaming was through Paladins watching the Paladins esports back in the day when they really cared about their esports it was such a good like spectacle to watch Um, that really got me into that so um, I ended up uh, being a contractor for high res studios uh, playing on their uh, broadcasting to their official Paladins um, Twitch channel and Mixer channel when that was still a thing Um, and did some sort of like Tier two, tier three uh, casting in the paladin scene. Never really climbed up to the the heights that I wanted to with that. Um, and yeah, pretty much doors are closed for <laughs> for high res uh, esports these days. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much where I started in esports, to be honest.
0: What about before that in terms of uh, sort of non non industry jobs? What were you doing um, outside of the video game industry up until you sort of made that a semi uh, a semi professional thing?
3: Okay, so um, I, in about 2015, I stepped back from a career in finance. So I'd been studying and then working in finance for almost a decade. Um, I stepped back from that uh, and my ex-wife sort of moved into the the more career focused role in the family. So for a few years, I did very much like uh, what I put in air quotes as as head end jobs. Maybe I shouldn't phrase it that way, Um, but I this was while I was working on content primarily, so I was doing like uh, YouTube and streaming while doing like Domino's delivery driving, Sainsbury's delivery driving. It was several years. It was primarily delivery driving that I did um, for for my work. To be honest,
0: yeah, I mean, you got to sort of yeah, you got to have something to to bring the money in while you're sort of trying to chase your dream. I think that's always I think that's always an admirable, admirable thing to do. I didn't. I can't at all compare myself uh, to you because I was only doing it on a freelance basis. But I I did that before getting uh, the job at Hitmarker in that I I really wanted to work in esports and I said I'll give myself a year of because I I've been doing freelance writing for about two years before and I was like right I want to make something of this you know where I, where it can become sort of a part time full time income you know um where I can start living off it so I said I give myself a year um uh, like choosing not to go to university and trying to do that instead. Uh, and was just completely scraping by, like I was living on nothing. Um, but just using that to try and build up the experience and just look for those opportunities. So I think it's it's just a very vital part of of uh, of what you got to do to find your sort of dream job. Sometimes, so I think it's um yeah it's it's uh, you call them dead end, but it's just it's part of the process, isn't it? Like you have to do it to to sort of to give yourself time to to explore other things. Uh, so I don't think there's anything. I think that's just yeah. I think that's helped you get where you are.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So how did you um, end up finding your way onto Hitmarker? Because you'd been a platform user before um, joining us uh, as a staff member, weren't you?
3: Yeah, so I remember back in July of 2018, um, I'd been invited to a cocktail party run by Hi-Res in Bristol. And it was there that I met Sam Cook, uh, the managing Director at uh, Esports Insider. um, Spent a lot of the evening uh, chatting to him. And I think that was the first time when I really thought about working in esports, like as an actual career rather than just like a little sort of pipe dream as it were it, it suddenly made it real to me that this could be a thing um it was great to make a connection there and i remember i, I sort of uh, networked with sam a bit more after that i've i had some uh, some invites to some events that they ran as well and it was uh coming back from there that my first job application through hitmarker was to Esports Insider, uh, I think, for a sales position uh, back in July 2018. So that was where I discovered Hitmarker and over. I think they became my go to uh, my go to website for looking for jobs after that. It was like, if I'm going to find another job, I want it to be in gaming or esports at this point. I don't want to uh, you know, take second best in that regards. I think it's that time where I just want that, that dream to become the reality. Um, so I applied for a few other things. Um, but the more that I interacted with Hitmark, I mean, I remember interacting with, with like, I, I assume maybe you guys on the social media accounts like back in the day, uh, in the last couple of years, and really liking what I saw of the company, um, what they were doing, what Hitmark's uh, sort of ethos was, how they were trying to like, open up this industry to more people. Um, and yeah, it was October, November 19, was it when, when a few more jobs came up on the site for hitmarker and i applied for the uh the content coordinator position
0: yes i mean just but just before we explore that application there um i think that's actually how all of us on this podcast then found our jobs is that we found hitmarker started using it for other applications and then eventually found our jobs at hitmarker through hitmarker is that right will and trev
1: mine was uh being rejected remember as a company oh yes that was (laughs) me on on the
0: live chat and then seeing on location of south shields oh you're actually quite near to us aren't you
1: (laughs) yeah and then i had said oh are you guys hiring oh i'm gonna like apply when once i see that you're hiring so that was fun
2: yeah and i got rejected for my first application for hitmarker for the outrageous reason that applying for a weekend coordinator role and then not being able to work weekends like hitmarker thought that was a good enough reason not to hire me which is, you know.
0: a uh, Terrible mistake on our part. bit rude. Yeah,
2: outrageous. You could have hired me like eight months before you did and I could have not worked any of the hours <laughs> that you'd asked for, you know? It would have been great. Like, but yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think I was pretty similar to Tom in that I found Hitmarker by searching esports jobs um, and talking to a couple of people in the area who were like, yeah, this is where you need to be searching if you want one. And back in day and with Tom signing up, probably around the same time that I did, maybe a little bit before, because uh, I signed up in my last year of uni um it was a very different beast to what we have now where you get like the 30 new jobs a day 20 of them in los angeles and being <laughs> like oh sick i'm gonna apply to the one in the uk that comes up in the next three days um but yeah that was how i found my way here mm.
3: i do remember actually checking on a regular basis like on a daily basis for the jobs and i at the time i was pretty much only looking at the remote ones um because i wasn't in a, any position to relocate anywhere and i lived in a Dinky little town in in Cambridgeshire that I, <laughs> I don't think an esports job would ever be considered. So yeah, I just I remember checking every single day for the for the handful of remote jobs that were being added to the site back at you know in that time.
0: Oh yeah, there was there wasn't many at all. Um, yeah, it was it was like like you were saying, it we was sort of thirty jobs a day, probably posted by me getting into the office just quickly loading stuff up because um, that was the time uh, when we were just uh, we we're running it as a five man uh, team. So yeah, I just, I just love how, yeah, I love how everyone was on Hitmark before they got the job. Um, that's always something we do try and look for when we hire is people that have knowledge of the platform because it just makes everything so much easier when you when you uh, onboard someone. They already know the brand and, and have respect for it and everything. So that's fantastic. So Tom, you mentioned there that you would, um, you'd applied for one of the positions. Uh, I do remember you coming through. Um, you were on our shortlist, but unfortunately um, we couldn't give you the job. So I knew, did Rich stay in contact with you after that? We see he's just yeah, sort of so- checking in every so often.
3: Yeah, so actually, uh, it's an interesting way that it worked out was, um, I, I Rich told me I was on the the shortlist, um, but I was in a very very like rough period of my life. I was homeless, and very very close to being uh, jobless. Like uh, I was on like a major job hunt at the time, and at the same time that I had applied for the role at Hitmarker, maybe a, maybe a week after, I had a friend in Norway message me and say, I need someone to come and help me on my farm. You'll get a decent wage. You'll get a place to live. <laughs> so uh, and he was like, I'll pay for your flights and, and all this stuff. Um, so I accepted that offer and I I tweeted about it saying like this dude basically just saved me, you know, offering me a job and a place to live and stuff like that. It's going to be a big adventure. And Rich DM'd me on Twitter as a result of that tweet saying, Oh, man, we were literally just about to contact you. <laughs> so um, that conversation led to me saying, look, this is not a permanent move to Norway. This is, this is getting me out of a hole and helping me to, to get stable, have a fresh start. If, some, if there's something available late next year or whatever, like I'd love to get back in touch with you and, and see what we can do. And Rich said, yeah, stay in touch. And basically we, we did over the next few months. Unfortunately, that job on the farm ended up uh, disappearing about six weeks after I moved here, and uh, I was once again homeless and unemployed. This time in Norway, rather than England. Um, I had another friend who runs a Minecraft hosting company, who I contacted, and a rich who I contacted, and both basically gave me some part-time freelance work almost almost instantly. You know. and that's how it started with it, Mark. I think it was one day a week back in like the early summer of, of last year. And it just grew slowly, slowly. And then, yeah, beginning of this year, full time. And it's uh, it's been fantastic.
0: Wow, that's that's really quite a story. So, I mean, um, once that farm work disappeared and you and you got the two part time jobs there, is that how you sort of use that to did you get a flat in the city? In I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're in a town actually rather than the city. Did you use that to sort of help yourself just get a bit more settled?
3: Yeah. So, um, I, I, live in a very small town, uh, 500 people, residents, um, surrounded by mountains. It's like a little slice of paradise here. Um, thankfully the farm did pay good money for the few weeks that I worked there and having very few expenses. I, I did have enough money to find myself an apartment, uh, a small one bed place in the town fairly quickly. Um, so, uh, yeah, I moved down into the town took me six weeks to get internet set up and Norwegian, Norwegian, Norwegian internet companies don't hurry about anything. <laughs> no, <laughs> so I, my first, my first six weeks of freelance work were hotspotting off my phone. Um, and the data was costing me 80 euros a week. Um, mm. <laughs> just to, just to keep the jobs. So I, I, I wasn't far off, like making a loss on the jobs at that point, but I just needed to keep the jobs until the internet was set up, you know? Um, but yeah once that was all sorted it's been uh it's been much easier
0: talk about a process then well i mean yeah you're you're looking to move back to the uk um once obviously COVID lifts and and that's and such a thing as possible will that be a welcome return i mean because i Norway is always absolutely beautiful i've seen so much stuff of it online it reminds me a lot of iceland very sort of um striking landscapes and just very very a gorgeous country but i mean living in a 500 person town must be must be very difficult is it going to be a welcome return to come back to the uk
3: Oh yeah, I'm 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 pretty much desperate to get back now. Um, un- unfortunately, one of the problems with living in Norway, and you're absolutely right, it is gorgeous here. And if I could afford to stay here uh, and and work was in a way that I could stay here, then yes, I wouldn't mind staying here. Um, but Nor- Norway is a very very expensive place to live, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, working for like UK companies trying to live in norway is very very tough so yeah I, i'm needing to come back as soon as possible to be honest um but yeah there, there's definitely some perks here when i look out the windows <laughs> i have a river in my back garden i have mountains all around me it's uh it's it's pretty amazing
0: Geez, i'm sure i'm sure the only person in that town where, that works in video games and esports <laughs>
3: <laughs> quite possibly yeah <laughs>
0: Bruce, I mean, so uh, when you you're with us on a freelance basis, um, you were, like you said, you were covering us on the weekends. Um, and now that you're on a full-time, you're, you're on the weekdays with us. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit what, about what, what that's been like since starting in January? I know it's been very, very job heavy because that's been, we've been playing a bit catch up since we literally came back on January the 5th. But yeah, what's the, the first few weeks been like in terms of what you've been getting up to? Is there anything that you're looking forward to doing? Anything that you want to do a bit more of? Just sort of tell us a little bit about what that transition from freelance to full-time was like at the company.
3: Yeah, so as you say, it's been very job heavy, and I mean that's kind of been exciting in its own way to see so many new roles uh, going up on the site uh, and seeing the numbers grow. Um, but now I've, you know, I'm I'm sort of a part of the team full time, so I'm I'm involved in the meetings more and having those discussions about like uh, the the plans for for our content in the future. And uh, one of the things I'm enjoying is is having a weekly. Uh, uh, one day a week on the, the socials. Uh, I've, I've only done that like three times over the previous four or five months that I've been freelancing, um, which it's it's quite a process-heavy uh, part of the job, to be honest. So I actually found it quite difficult to come back after like three or four weeks or a month. Um, but now doing that like once a week, that that's becoming more second nature to me. And it's also nice to have those meetings with you guys where we're talking about like, um, the content plans and seeing how you guys do actually plan things out and, and, what your, what each of your individual like takes on stuff are. Um, I've been using those meetings a lot. I found <laughs> as like a learning experience, I found myself like sitting back a bit, maybe not having quite so much to contribute myself, but it's been a really, uh, strong learning experience to see how, how like the team works together and, and, and how we, we do, we will do things moving forwards.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's that's what I spent quite a lot of today doing. Um, just sort of because I I take a ton of notes whenever we're in meetings, so I've just been putting them in a much more legible format. Um just so we can run through them. So we're recording on a Tuesday at the moment. We're going to talk about those on Thursday, just when everyone's schedules a bit more open. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of stuff uh, planned for this year on socials. It's going to be different to what we've been doing before, um, which we won't talk about too much. We'll leave that as a bit of a, a bit of a surprise for when it comes. But yeah, we've got a lot of a lot of interesting stuff lined up, and um, once all that stuff is is prepared, there's going to be a ton of stuff needing preparation. Uh, one of the things we'll be doing is we'll have a monthly schedule on one platform that I want us to have like. Uh, monthly meetings on but sort of midway through okay i've explained this awfully let me think um basically we'll run for run for a month of content and then midway through that month we'll then get head, get together and plan the next month So we've always got this like nice pipeline ahead of us and then during that plan we're going to be going you know okay so this task needs to be done so tom do this trev do that we'll do that we'll sort of we'll all split out the workload so that by the time that that one month of content is finished we've got an entire another month you know pipeline they ready to go and, and everything's set up so yeah, we've definitely got a lot sort of on the cards to try and make our social media presence better this year. We know that it's been a bit sort of static the last few the last few years and it's been quite the same. So we want to try and just uh, inject a bit of bit of new life into it and and just sort of change things up a little bit. But just on you saying that the uh, the social side's getting a bit more familiar to you. Uh Will, did you find that when you started doing socials more frequently that um it's something that just gets easier with time?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um it's one of those things where you can, as you say, find yourself in a rut and as Hitmarker also just have been pretty static in that they've been kind of the same thing. Um, the same format, the same kind of um, style um, and it and it works for us and it's a good style to have and the format is nice, um, but it can definitely be a something that you want to keep adapting and changing because on social media if you stay still and you don't change at all, then people start just scrolling past your posts and not really caring what you're posting. Hmm. And you see that in stats where we have A piece of content when it comes out first everyone's like wow this is amazing the impressions are amazing the engagement's amazing but then you come to like five six seven iterations down the line and people start getting fed up with it or not engaging with it at all Mm -hmm. and it's our content last year that was constantly changing and adapting and bringing in new voices and new ideas so the success stories and the video content we were doing always did well because it was constantly iterating and changing and being new um, on my on our personal level as well, as not just hit marker, I, found, I find myself kind of falling into the same, you can tell when Will's on, because he uses the same words and the same emojis all the time. I was on socials today, and I uh, proofread all my socials to make sure stuff's spelt correctly, and the emojis are actually emojis rather than text, because that's <laughs> happened before, and it's embarrassing. But looking for him being like, I've used this emoji like six times today, when I've only put out 30 tweets or so. Like I need it needs to be changed, or I've used this one word in eight of these tweets and the style is always very similar. So with the iteration and changing of hit marker stuff, also trying to personally change my own way of doing socials this year to try and change it up and keep it a bit fresh is definitely a challenge for me. Um I imagine Trev's pretty similar because he's been doing socials as well. He had the he had the lovely weekend slot before and now it's been taken away from him. But yeah, for me, it's definitely trying to change, trying to adapt and keep um, improving and shifting stuff so that while stuff is always getting better, it's not just like incrementally getting better than staying there, but it's getting better and diversifying into lots of different ways of doing things.
0: Yeah, that all sounds brilliant. Trev, I mean, I know you were you had a bit more of a social media background before joining us as well. What do you, do you like? What are you sort of most looking forward to doing this year in terms of the new social plans? Without giving too much away in terms of the new stuff we'll be doing, and did you sort of um, also find it sort of becoming more familiar with you the more the more times you did it? Because there's a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of sort of strange things you got to do on each platform, and, and all the sort of bits that come into a full social day. Did you find something similar?
1: Yeah, I feel. Well, the things that I'm looking forward to, I can't really say. Did I completely pen like,
0: you in by saying what you're looking forward to, but don't spoil anything? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs>
1: so I'm not going to say anything, but um, yeah, it's a lot of exciting stuff, which a lot of us wanted to do, um, but we just couldn't at the time uh, because we had more pressing things that we wanted to do. Like, we hit so many milestones last year that I feel like if we stopped, uh, we wouldn't have hit them. And I'm glad we didn't because it, it, like, it was a real surprise to everyone uh, who was already in the company, like how far we could we could go, and in the, in terms of like the routine and how everything went. Um, I think it was just about finding my own way of doing it because I think if I find something that's good uh, with me, um, I tend to do a lot better. So. That's that's probably just me um, taking everything that we've done, like all the past processes, and kind of just redoing it and rejigging it in my own way. So that's probably like what take, took a lot, a longer time for me uh, to get used to. But I think yeah, like it's a it's a good we've got a good split um, this year. I'm looking forward to seeing how we do it. And yeah, it was a it was weird going from uh, working my shift uh, to work in a, a usual Monday to Friday so I, I'm still getting used to that but yeah it, I think it's good in the end
0: <laughs> have you seen anything change because yeah for anyone anyone listening that wasn't aware Trev uh used to be doing used to cover our weekends for us for pretty much the entirety of 2019 uh so he was working uh from Monday through to Sunday no that's not right you did you had Wednesdays and Thursdays off no it chooses Wednesdays off yeah
1: and it was 2020
0: and it's twenty twenty. Okay, yep. I just I just messed up that entire sentence. Um, <laughs> but yeah, have you found anything different having weekends off? I mean, I know it's locked down and, and everything's um, uh, all messed up because of it. Have you noticed anything different having those two days off in a different time of the week?
1: Um, on a social sort of level, I don't think it's fair to kind of compare yet, since we're like still just getting back from like being away for a few weeks and still. Uh, redoing all the plans but uh it'll be something that I can answer I think the whole team will be able to answer later on to see how everything goes but um just for me personally I think it's it's allowing me to like be off when everyone else is off which is quite nice because it's nice to be around everyone like five days a week instead of uh like a few days a week Um, and it's nice to be in all the time i'm not i'm not saying having tom and marcy on a weekend isn't a good thing i'm saying it's a really good it's a really good thing uh (laughs) but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's it's certainly a change and i think uh we'd be able to see more on the stats and um the impressions of how everything's going um before we can make a real uh well yeah make a real point of what whether it was useful or not i think it was useful but it's nice to be in on a monday or friday
0: definitely and especially with how many meetings we've been having like tom said i don't think i've had a, um, a meeting filled month quite like this one ever i don't think actually uh, so it does feel like it's it's uh most days at the moment but yeah it, it's good a lot of it's it's always useful like it's like i was saying today like i've been i've been typing it up into a much more uh like legible document and um yeah we've, we've, we've definitely covered a lot of good stuff so happy with how the month's gone so, Tom, just want to close out that that section introducing you and getting to know you a little bit by asking if there's anything that you really want to um, achieve this year, personally or professionally. Um, if there's anything that you'd want to look back on come come December and say, yes, I'm glad that I you know learned that or that I did that or that, you know, the company achieved this. Is there anything that sort of stands out as a as a 2021 goal in that sense?
3: I mean, personally, I want to get home. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's that, That's the first goal um also personally i want to get once i'm home i want to get back into streaming uh, uh, more myself because i really do miss doing that mm-hmm. um professionally i mean i'm looking forward to seeing where uh, Hitmarker's content goes over the year and being a part of that um and i'd like to think like later in the year when we're sort of back in an office together and sort of all that all that stuff is uh, sort of realigned um moving i really do like to work on uh both pre-recorded and live video content. So I'm hoping that we can sort of introduce more of that as the year goes on. That certainly be, I think a lot of my content ideas later in the year will probably focus around that as well. So um, yeah, I think that's where I'm I'm excited to see where where things
0: grow. Oh, don't worry. I think I think Trevor will have us working six day weeks once we're back in the office with the amount of video stuff that he wants to do as well. So I think you're in good company there. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Awesome. Um, well, cheers, cheers for telling us about yourself there, Tom. That was just great to, to hear you. Um, you'll be a much larger part of the content team now. So we just wanted to let everyone who listens just know a little bit about you and, and sort of see how you'll be fitting into the team. Um, so the, and the team is growing. Um, another thing we wanted to touch on in the podcast is the hiring that we've been doing. If you've been on social media and you follow us or if you've been on the website or if you've been pretty much anywhere that we managed to get a word in, you'll have seen that we've been hiring at the start of this year. Um, So we finished our crowdfunding raise uh, in the tail end of 2020. Uh, We raised just over £500,000, which we're going to be using to branch out into several new markets. Uh, So the first of those being um, Brazil and Spain, and then we're also going to be doing uh, Japan and China later on in the year. So applications for those are now closed. Um, We received hundreds of applications across the four jobs um, with a a quality level that really, really impressed us. so we'd, we'll definitely be talking more on that sort of in future podcasts and future content pieces. Um, one thing I'm very keen for us to do is um, a series on what we've learned ourselves being hiring managers for these positions, because we always speak to other hiring managers and we always speak to other people that are looking for, for talent. Um, but when, whenever we hire, so we've done it for the last two years in a row now, we get an interesting, we get a very good insight into what the sort of gaming and esports applications look like at the moment. You know, we see how candidates are applying, we see what works well for us, and we see what doesn't, um, and we're very keen to just sort of package that together into a sort of a few pieces of content that just sort of let people know what really puts off uh, puts us off an application and what works well for us, and sort of just use the takeaways from our from our hiring process to to inform other people because. We're in a position now where, we've, like I said, we had sort of over 200 applications across everything. And across those, there's a lot of, you know, similarities that are repeated that get candidates rejected, unfortunately. And then there's other things that, you know, really appeal to us. Um, so we're looking forward to for, for doing that once we've sort of had a bit more time to look at the applications um, and let people know sort of our takeaways from them. But that's one thing to look out for. Um, we think it'll be quite valuable because, like I said, it's, it's hearing from the horse's mouth in terms of what's going to get people noticed or, or scored down uh, in an application. Mm-hmm. So just sort of quickly uh, touching on that from what we've seen, we're just going to go around uh, and see if everyone has... Um, one sort of point that they'd give applicants. If you've not seen the applications, don't worry, because I know, Tom, you would not have had a chance to look at any of them. Um, if there's just one sort of key point that you would recommend people do or that people avoid when they're applying to things, uh, we'll just go around and see if everyone has one. Uh, so I'll start and I'll say for people to read the job description fully, because one thing that scored so many of our candidates down um, was we asked for a very specific uh, way to approach your cover letter in our in our, in our descriptions. And a lot of people didn't follow that. And when you're a sort of expecting people to be looking through these, you know, quite critically, and to really sort of be submitting the best thing that they can to you, um, when someone's not followed the sort of quite specific instructions you included, it's a very, very big red flag. And it's just it's a way, it's a way that's not easy to avoid because I know it takes time, but it's a way that you really should be avoiding because doing otherwise it just risks you getting rejected sort of straight off the bat. So that's one thing I'd say to people: make sure you just you don't ever rush into a job description always read it once or twice, read it thoroughly, understand it completely, uh, and then put together something. So uh, Tom, did you have anything? Again, it could just be a, a broad sort of a pointer for people that you'd want to uh, suggest people do when they're applying to jobs, whether that's with us or, or with another company.
3: So, uh, yes, I, I'm, a, I'm a great lover of the written word and people, please, like, spell and grammar check your applications, please. <laughs> it's, there's been some real, like, glaringly, terrible uh ways that applications have been written with poor sentence structure and uh yeah it's just been i think that's just a, a real key like it's it's such an instant turn off for a for a hiring manager to read something which is difficult to read because of like what are very easily avoided like uh, spelling and grammar mistakes i think that's really got to be on the, the the top of people's list of like a very simple thing they can do to, to strengthen their applications
0: mm-hmm I'll quickly add to that and just say, um, since a cover letter should sort of be your best possible, you know, piece of writing that you can make because it's so crucial. If a hiring manager looks at that and isn't happy with how you're presenting stuff, and they wouldn't be happy if something that was representing their company was written in the same way, then you're not going to fill them with confidence that you could, you know, represent the company when it comes to sort of written communication very well because they're see- they're looking at your cover letter and thinking this should be sort of one of the better things that they're going to submit and i'm not too happy with its standard which means i'm not going to be happy with them representing the company you know in other in other sort of channels so that's just one thing i wanted to quickly add on to that trev did you add anything that you just wanted to pass off as a quick sort of uh, comment or suggestion
1: your your point adding to tom's point there was the point i was going to make
0: i have, I have, <laughs> I have a habit of doing that don't i <laughs> uh
1: but yeah so i think we, we ask for this in the job description anyway, uh, but just to create a, a unique cover letter, um, especially when the company asks for it, is very important. And I think just because the like, even if you're applying to a job and it doesn't ask for that, you should do it anyway. Hmm. Just because it needs to be your own unique spin of how you want to present yourself. And a lot of hiring managers do know um, if it is just a copied and pasted. Uh, cover letter as well because they may have access to something that you have in the past, or they just might know from experience as well. So that's definitely something to consider.
0: Hundred
2: percent, completely
0: agree. Will anything from you there? I know you've you've already had uh, three three sort of common ones covered. So yeah,
2: so I was going to cheat a little bit um, and be helpful to the current applicants because I don't know when like rejections and stuff are going out uh, for these jobs um, because luckily I'm not the one who has to send all those emails but how you respond and act towards uh, companies will leave a lasting impression um and the idea of asking for feedback and um being courteous and sending a thank you for your consideration email and all of this stuff is really really important because while you might not have been successful this time there's no reason that you won't be successful on the next occasion when hitmark or any other company's hiring and so often i'll see people going on social media and Basically like, oh, I didn't get this thing, blah, blah, blah. I don't know why I can't get hired. But then talking to those people and them not asking for feedback and not seeing what they're doing wrong in applications and kind of cutting ties and burning bridges where they really don't need to. Like I, I didn't get the first job that I applied to at Hitmarker. Um, Trev's first experience with Hitmarker was him getting rejected for his company for doing something wrong. Like being a good person to talk to and networking with these companies in an authentic way can help you in the future. And again, Tom kept in contact with Rich after he um, didn't get the first job that he applied to. Like everyone who's sitting in here except Cam, go Cam, (laughs) wasn't successful in the most traditional sense when their first um, communication with Hitmarker or their first application with Hitmarker. But yeah, we're all currently fully employed by Hitmarker. So if you get a rejection email, yes, it's gonna suck. Um, you can go away and feel a bit sorry for yourself for a while, but send that email back, ask for feedback, thank people for their consideration, and people are more likely to remember you, and then in whenever Hitmarker apply, hires next for a similar role that you're um, able to apply for, we can see that application be like, oh yeah, that's this person, they asked for feedback, and look, this is where they've actioned that feedback. Clearly, they can take criticism correctly, and that could be another string in your bow in terms of, getting that next job.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic piece of advice. Like uh, like I said, everyone bar me on this, uh, on this podcast shows, you know? So yeah, I think that's well worth keeping in mind. So talking about application, oh, I'll just quickly sum up. Um, so just on you saying rejection email as well, um, everyone who applied has been emailed just saying we received their application. Um, and I think we'll start going through and shortlisting and then and rejecting those people that we've not shortlisted uh, this week or next week. Uh, so as we record, this is uh, January the 26th. Um, so we're not going to be leaving people hanging long at all. We know that the wait is, uh, is as bad as anything. Um, so yeah, those will be going on the next week or two. Uh, so in terms of applications, we have another bit of exciting news that will help you in your future ones, we hope. And that is good old Hitmarker CV. Uh, so Hitmarker CV has been a dev project um for the last couple of months now uh, and it's going to be an internal resume builder that can help you build a resume that you can then use on hitmarker that will have a a permanent web url so you can link it on your own website on your own portfolio or just in other cover letters uh, and you'll also be able to download your resume as a PDF uh, through the Hitmarker platform, so that you can use it uh, on Hitmarker through email applications or even on other, on other job websites if you really, if you really want to make us cry like that. But you're you're totally open to to use the resume build it and then download it as a PDF to use elsewhere. That's completely fine. So I mean, has everyone uh, on this podcast at the moment have you have, have you all played around with Hitmarker CV? Have you had a chance to?
1: Yeah, I have. I've had a lot of fun with it. <laughs>
2: I haven't, but that's because I have a very strict stance on not playing games until they're released fully. Like, I'm not here to play broken <laughs> betas. <haters>. So, with <laughs> hey, Markus CV, it's the same as the new Baldur's Gate game. Same as all these titles. I've been burnt one too many times. I want to see the full thing. I want my first experience with it to be the full article. You know, Um, also I haven't had time, basically.
3: He's (laughs) not pre-ordering I'm not pre-ordering
2: Hitmarker CV. I was just just about to say. With these stretch goals. I'm not here getting the Hitmarker CV t-shirt and the hat because if I log in and Hitmarker CV doesn't work, I'm be fuming. We played Cyberpunk 2077 or whatever it was. We've seen what happens. I don't want to be disappointed the same way in Hitmarker CV. I, so, I,
1: yeah. I, I am a Hitmarker CV, be it a tester. That's all I'm saying. As am I.
2: <laughs> yeah, you do You do know it's free will.
0: <laughs> you don't actually yeah, have to pay I, for
2: it. I do. It. <laughs> I mean, this is all just groundstanding for I've been busy this week because so I haven't had a chance to test it. I might test it at some stage, but now I feel like I've said this, I can't. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So I kind of back you've, you've, myself you've got to into opinion. a corner with oh, this yeah. one. But furthermore, I might just ask Laurie, our lovely editor, just edit this bit of the podcast out. That'll be fine. Then no one will know. Laurie, don't, do it. don't do it. Anyways. I will, I will
3: go on with slight tangent on that. Like, uh, just to say that the only game I've ever pre-ordered was Star Wars Battlefront 2. And that really worked out well, didn't it?
0: <laughs> the most recent one. <laughs>
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> to be fair, it's, 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 say, it's actually quite
0: a good uh, game now. I, I quite enjoy it, but uh, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not it's the anything on the first, <laughs> right?
2: Like Star Wars Battlefront Two, the OG, sick, oh, loved it. Beautiful. Play it frequently still. Uh huh. Um, but just yeah, just wait, wait on games until they're good, especially if they're single player games. Like you don't need to play it the day it's released in order, because I would just rather play it in free months time when it's good and cheaper on sales. You know, but. Hitmarker can't be cheaper than free. It because cannot be. we can't give you money. That's a bad business model. So we're not going to do that.
0: Right, so continuing on the uh, the beta oh. metaphor. So um, Hitmarker CV is currently in final beta stage, we can say. Uh, it's been tested by everyone by will for the above reasons. Um, and it's coming together very nicely. I've made one on there that was a bit of an inside joke and was very good fun to write. Um, and yeah, we're, we're really thinking it's going to be um, very useful for people because it lets you use a very professional and modern design without needing any design experience. Um, I mean, none of us here are graphic designers on this call. We can all make a very nice resume uh, through Hitmarker CV. So it's definitely worth checking out um, if you're needing a CV, or if you just wanna give yours a refresh, uh, because like I said, we can, you can download it as a PDF, use, use it through Hitmarker applications, or even get a web URL for it. Uh, so very great there. Uh, and c- contrary to what Will was saying, it's actually not paid for, you don't have to pre-order it. So uh, that's happy days. Uh, it's available for anyone to use. So with that said, um, we're just going to go, go around again and just sort of get one uh, piece of advice from everyone when it comes to making your CV. Um, just bearing in mind the sort of way Hitmarker CV works with the drag and drop and, and all that stuff. So we'll start with you, Will, just because you had to go last uh, before. So we'll let you go first this time so you can uh, you can steal what Trevor's inevitably going to be going to be saying. Um, is there anything that you want people to sort of bear in mind when they're making a CV through Hitmarker CV or, or another platform?
2: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that can be missed when you first write your CV, and it's something that when I was being taught how to write a CV at school and stuff and mentioned at university, it wasn't talked about. When you're talking about your experience, you should always be tailoring what you say about that experience for each individual job. And obviously you need to tailor your CV for every job application you put out. We say that time and time again, but the idea of if you're going for a role in customer service and all that you've done is marketing, Maybe you want to be focusing on that communication aspect of that marketing role. But if you're going into a job, you want to apply for a different job that's in video editing, you want to be talking about the creativity behind marketing and knowing how to use SEO and all of this stuff. So having the skills lined up for each role and going, what was most relevant that I did? What achievements that I have that would look good in this new role will look much better than just putting down, I was in marketing for a year, I'm good at marketing or something to that effect when the person you're applying to is looking for someone in customer service or someone in pr or someone in sales because they're going to see that and be like they spent a year employed that's good but that's not really helpful but if you show those proper skills that they're looking for and especially the ones they ask for specifically in the application always read the application you're going to have a much better time and it means that you're not wasting space in your experience section which can quite often be the case because people don't know exactly what to put in there
0: Yes, that's perfect. Just looking for transferable skills, isn't it? And just looking where you can use that past experience in the most effective way, definitely. Trev, anything to uh, to follow up on that?
1: Uh, that I hate you all, because, again, that is my go-to piece of advice every time I ask. Uh, I'm asked something. Uh, it's, so all, it's, I it's, it's, all, it's all a conspiracy. We're, it, we're in your head. It <laughs> really is. You never let me go first in any of these things. Okay, <laughs> I'll make a note next month. <laughs> uh yeah so a lot of the things that i would say aren't uh things that you need to worry about with Hitmarker cv uh with hit cv my main go-to is like the way um it's formatted and stuff like that so when we get through the beta stage we will end up showing you like multiple ways you can format your cv um so it could fit like any kind of job that you're going to be applying for um so one of my thing, one of my pet peeves, I guess, is a really badly formatted CV. Um, something that you do on a Word doc um, that isn't really set out in the best way. It's it's like going back to secondary school and uh, doing one for the first time there. And we still see a lot of CVs in that sort of format. And if you use for uh, Hitmarker CV now, it's just going to look really really clean. And you can also have a have your own color scheme on it as well, which makes things even better.
0: It definitely does. Yes, lots of cool things you can do with the color scheme. Just don't get too wacky. Resumes should not be green and brown. <laughs> Tom, anything to add there on the uh, the resume points?
3: Yeah, I was just thinking about the uh, writing your personal profile of, summary. I think personal summary is it called on Hitmarker TV? Yes, so it's, it's <laughs> called
0: summary, but we it's, it can be profile or bio or sort of uh, yeah, any of those.
3: Yeah. I think it's really important for candidates to remember that this is, their, this is their chance to show how they will bring value to the company they're applying for. So mm-hmm. like Will said, you need to be tailoring this to every job application. Don't just click the apply button every time and use the same CV over and over again. Write that personal profile out, you know, not really, really wordy. It's got to be like capture, it's got to capture their interest fairly quickly. But the most important thing there is is demonstrating how you will bring value to their company. and that that's that's what you should be focused on just for that one
0: section. Which like I say, you can never do if you don't if you don't tailor it, so that's definitely important. And if you're tailoring it, you can also quickly drop in the company's name so that they're by the sort of the first line of your, of your resume, they've seen that you've done this uh, specifically for that company, which believe me does go a long way because so many people don't take the time to customize, so that's hundred percent worth remembering. So I just wanted to quickly touch on, finally there, um, knowing when to structure, when to, put your, when, you're, when to put your education above your experience and when to put your experience above your education. So the two sort of core uh, parts of a resume are often the experience and the education. Um, if you're a younger candidate uh, when you're, and you've not got much professional experience, it's likely that your education will carry more weight than your experience because you might not have had a full-time job at this point or you might not have had a job in the area that you're wanting to apply to. Whereas your education might be a lot more relevant to your desired field because you might be studying a degree in that area or you might have done, you know, any digital, any online courses or sort of online certificates that cover that area. Um, if you can sort of showcase those and it matches the profession that you're applying to or the sector that you're applying in more so than your experience then you definitely want to lead, lead with your education you want to put that above your experience and make sure it's the first thing that the hiring manager sees because a good sort of rule of thumb when making a resume is to structure it from the most important information at the top and then just sort of work down in terms of the hierarchy of what you're put in uh, in the resume so you, you it should end off with you know references and skills and it should begin with things like summaries and experience or education and then you want to put your, your experience at the top if you've got a bit more uh, of a sort of professional background behind you if you've had you know a job for maybe a year or, or two years and sort of have enough to speak about in that experience section that it then outweighs your education that's what i'd suggest leading with that um and then when you're writing that just make sure you're speaking about achievements make sure you're speaking about responsibilities that you've held make sure you're speaking about skills that you've learned and used um make that experience section as, as impressive as possible and make sure that it's relevant to um the job description like the others were saying and uh, i think it will be off to a really good way to to structure your resume um which hopefully hit a EV will be able to help you with so it may be launched by the time this podcast comes out it might not be we're not too sure on the sort of exact launch date it's just it's in very final stages but once it is we'll be making a big uh, uh, huff and puff about it on social media and, and you'll see it on our website so look out for that play around with it um it really should help you to create a great document excellent well thank you so much for your time today people um i appreciate you stopping by and talking to us and thank you everyone for listening to another episode of posting jobs recording pods the podcast brought to you by hitmarker we'll be back next month uh for another episode this one was just a sort of catch up of the the whole year and then introducing tom as well who like i said has joined us full time uh thank you everyone take care stay safe uh and we'll be back soon thank you everyone goodbye